Welcome to NAESP HQ and this update from NAESP headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia, highlighting noteworthy stories for pre-K-8 school leaders. I'm Executive Director Earl Franks. Joining me today to discuss the upcoming 2020 elections, specifically changes in state education leadership, is Jeremy Anderson, President of Education Commission of the State and a good friend to NAESP and the members we serve. Jeremy, thanks for being here. Absolutely. It's an honor to be with you and your members, Earl. Let's start by learning about Education Commission of the States and what you do. Absolutely. We track legislation and state policies across the country. We were actually formed over 50 years ago when the Civil Rights Act passed. And that was the first time that governors and legislators got together a little bit concerned about not the civil rights aspect, but that that bill was the first ever federal policy in education. And so we were formed out of that conversation so that we can be a nonpartisan, unbiased think tank to help provide governors, legislators, state superintendents, and higher ed officials with information they need to do their job. Well, uh, just kudos to you and your team. You do outstanding uh, work, and we appreciate uh, you being here sharing with us today. Recently, your organization released a policy blog and a graphic on how the 2020 state elections could shape education systems. So if you don't mind, talk about the specific states, races, and potential changes that are included in this. Absolutely, Earl. Well, the presidential election year is usually one that has less governor's races than the off year. But this year, we have 11 gubernatorial elections that are taking place on November 3rd. And of those 11 states, we know that two of those states are guaranteed a new governor already. That's Montana and Utah. Those governors have term limits, so it's an open seat. Nine other states, though, have an incumbent candidate on the ballot. And the reason it's kind of important when you think about governor changes is that a lot of governors have a lot of major appointments for some of those education positions. So of those 11 states that have a governor's race, 10 of those governors actually appoint their state board of education. Utah is the one state that does not. Of those 11, or 11 governor's races that are on the ballot, four of those governors choose who the chief state school officer is. That's Indiana, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Delaware. And in one of those 11 states, Washington, the governor also appoints the state higher ed executive. So it's really important when you're looking at how those governor races turn out because it may have big impacts on who's making decisions in your state on education issues. A couple of the other things that we see a lot of are just on chief state school officers. Um, many people don't realize that 13 of our chief state school officers in America are actually constitutionally elected officers. And so here on November 3rd, we have four of those elected chiefs that are on the ballot. Montana, North Dakota, and Washington State have incumbents who are running for re-election in that position. And North Carolina is a seat that is actually an open seat for state superintendent right now. There's candidates for both the Democratic and Republican Party, and we'll see here on November 3rd who actually is the new state superintendent there in North Carolina. Jeremy, and this, these chief state school officers, is there typically a requirement for certification in education uh, for to hold those positions? It really varies across the country, Earl. There are um, some of the states that do have requirements that you have to have a certain level of education or a certain amount of experience to be in that role. 
Um, of those that are elected chief state school officers, a lot of them do not have specific education requirements, um, but some of them do. Um, and it really ranges from state to state. I remember just historically about five years ago, we had a state where um, the governor wanted to appoint a state senator to be the chief state school officer. And the state law did require a PhD in education. And the legislature actually had to go in and change that law to say that at least one of the deputy chief state school officers had to have the PhD in education. So it truly does vary across from state to state on what the requirements are for that role. What about states that are holding elections for Board of Regents races? Yeah, we've got um, four states um, on this ballot that their Board of Regents, which is usually the governing board for higher ed, have elections. And that's Colorado, Michigan, Nebraska, and uh, Nevada. Um, and on top of that, there's nine states that are actually holding elected races for their state board members for the state board of ed. Alabama, Colorado, Kansas, Michigan, Nebraska, Nevada, um, Ohio, Texas, and Utah are all states that are having state board elections. And I'd be remiss to not just remind everyone that while this is a presidential election, of the 99 legislative uh, chambers that we have in America, remember Nebraska is unicameral, so they only have one chamber. Of the 99 chambers, 86 of those legislative chambers in 44 states are holding elections on November 3rd. And so there's likely to be potential for a lot of change in some of the legislative seats also. Can you speak briefly about the, the work you're doing now uh, in terms of policy? What seems to be the predominant policy issues around education in states? Well, there's a lot of interesting ones and we've been tracking where is the, um, what are the largest number of bills being introduced on certain issues. And since COVID, we've actually seen that um, you would think COVID response bills would be the largest number, but actually teacher licensure and um, teacher related issues have been the largest concentration of bills that we've seen introduced. COVID, of course, is a big one. Also, K-12 financing, post-secondary financing, and beyond COVID, just health issues for students. There's a lot of legislation out there that is not COVID-related, but was already working in 2019 and into 2020 around mental health services and counseling for students long before we had the pandemic. If folks who are viewing and listening to this are interested in reading the policy blog, or downloading the graphic that we're referencing here today? How would they go about doing that? Sure, our website is the best place to find that infographic and the blog and many more tools you could use, and that's at ecs.org. Jeremy, thanks for joining me, and thanks for the great work you and your team do to provide education leaders with unbiased information and opportunities for collaboration, and I agree with the belief of ECS, and that is you do what you do because you know that informed policymakers create better education policy. So thanks for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Earl. Until next time, I'm Earl Franks. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of NAESP HQ.